do thank you for your grace, God. And tonight, Lord, we're going to talk about your grace, Father, in a different kind of way, but still in grace. And so, Lord, we praise you for what has been done for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. It is the example that we follow. It is the, it is the prize for which we seek, Lord, to be in union with you because of what your Son has done. And so, Lord, we just love you. We thank you. You are our, uh, our treasure hidden in a field. You are our pearl of great value. You are, you are worthy of all our praise. And so, Lord, may we tonight, as we continue in, in worship through the study of your word, Father, may you help us to worship you, Father, by being uh, not just hearers of the word, but doers. God, by taking what you have given us and, and, and being faithful with it. Lord, we like the word stewardship as Baptists. And so, Father God, would we be good stewards of your word as we, uh, as we take it and we apply it to our life and we apply it to the life of our church and we apply it to the life of our family. And it doesn't become this individual thing that I have to do all by myself, but it is something that we come together as a group of believers and do, encouraging one another and building each other up and not tearing each other down. And so, Father... I just ask that your grace and your your name and your blessing would be all over what we discuss tonight, even though it is a difficult subject. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak through me. God, give me humility and give me wisdom in the way that I present, Father. But, but Lord, help me not to back down in any way, but to stand upon the authority of your word behind the cross so that you may receive all the glory. It's in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen. So we continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, where we, where we were last time, is, uh, is that we, we'd begun Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And what we saw is that Jesus was giving us instructions on judging others. Uh, so we, 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 what we saw last time in way of review, because we've had two weeks between, uh, we saw that we should ha- not have a judgmental spirit, and, and that when we do make necessary judgments, we make them in order to restore our brother, and we make them with gentleness, which will help lead our brother to repentance. And so this is the pattern that Jesus has laid out for us in these first five verses uh, of, of the Matthew chapter 7, about judging and confronting our brother in his sin. But when we get to verse 6, Jesus throws a caveat out. He says, this is the way I want you to handle it. I want you to handle it with gentleness. I want you to handle it, uh, I want you to handle it in love, and I want you to confront what is necessary, but do it in a loving way to restore your brother. But there's something I need to throw in there. It's kind of like these, these modern-day athletic contracts. Uh, uh, I don't know if you keep up with sports in the same manner that I do, but but what has happened now is because these athletes are getting multi, multi, multi-million dollar deals, they have, for the athlete side, they have guaranteed money. So if you play like trash, makes no difference. If you get cut from the team, makes no difference. If you get hurt, it makes no difference. You will get paid this guaranteed money. Well, teams have reacted to what was happening on the athlete side, and they have put these kind of escape clauses into contracts. 
So if you are, uh, are, you know, just not thinking and you go and you get arrested and you're in jail for a significant amount of time, the team's going to have in that contract, we're not paying you, okay? We're not going to pay you if you are sitting in jail. Or if you go snowboarding and you break your leg and you're going to be out for a season, guess what? You got hurt in a non-team related uh, function and so we are not going to pay you. It's, it's in, And what Jesus is doing here, he's kind of given us this same sort of thing as it comes to teaching about judgment. Judge with the goal of restoration, but there comes a time where enough is enough. There comes a time where enough is enough. And the problem with this is it doesn't sound very Jesus-like, right? It doesn't sound very Jesus-like to say enough is enough. What do we learn about Jesus? Jesus is full of grace and truth. What do we learn about Jesus? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But I want you to see that this is not an unprecedented move by Jesus to make an exception to a command of grace. In fact, we've already discussed it as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. If you flip over one page to the left in Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus is discussing divorce, he says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, and here comes the exception, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So here's, here's the picture here. Here's the broader picture, rather, is that Jesus is demanding grace in the marriage relationship. What he's saying is he's saying, I'm eliminating, I'm eradicating easy divorce. Because easy divorce for the woman in the relationship means a life of poverty. It might end up meaning a life of going into prostitution. It is a difficult, difficult road to hoe for women back in those days. And so what he's doing is, through his law of divorce, of of eradicating easy divorce, what he's saying is, I'm giving grace to the helpless. I'm giving grace to the helpless. But, there's an exception. If she's unfaithful, then you may divorce her. And so in this same passage where we talk about Jesus' grace and the way that Jesus wants us to confront and deal with sin within the church, let us consider the the exception that he throws on to the end and how to apply it to our church today. And so that's where we're going tonight. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet. And then turn and tear you to pieces. And what we have here, and and what is obviously a passage that has been a struggle for a lot of people, because there is no clearness about, (laughs) clarity is probably the right word, there is no clarity about what Jesus is saying here, okay? Some people will take this passage and just say, this was... This was something that Jesus said at some point in his ministry, and they just inserted it here. (laughs) That it wasn't really a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And other people make different kind of arguments about uh, all different kind of things about this particular verse, because it seems such a weird verse to have in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, to have it all, what what are you talking about? Throwing your sacred things to dogs and your pearls to pigs, and and what what is that all about? And so what I want to, I do want to start with that by saying that there is a host of opinions here, but I'm going to give you what I believe to be the, the scriptural truth behind this based on the context, okay? And the context is judgment, okay? And so anyways, uh, two different types of rebels that we have being discussed here in verse, uh, in verse 6. Two different types of rebels. We have the dog and we have the pig. 
Now we'll start with the dog, because Jesus starts with the dog. In, in ancient Near Eastern times, dogs were not household pets. Okay? Don't, I want you to get out of your mind this idea of household pets. I've had three dogs that I can really remember being a part of my life as I was growing up. I had two Chinese pugs, which are just the ugliest demon-looking dogs you've ever seen in your life. Uh, uh, one named Roscoe and, and one named uh, Buster. Uh, and then we had a uh, basset hound uh, named Dixie. And we loved these dogs and we cared for these dogs and we fed these dogs and we looked after them and we gave them baths and we wiped all that green goo out of their eyes and, you know, we let them lick all over us and our faces and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Don't get that picture here, <laughs> okay? I want you to remove that picture from your mind. This is the picture I want you to have. I went to Mexico. I went to Mexico, and there were dogs. And there were lots and lots and lots of dogs. And these dogs were mangy. They ran in packs. In fact, when we went to Mexico, we made a rule, do not touch the dog. You do not know what you will get. Uh, they were constantly scavenging for food. I mean, just on the prowl all the time looking for food because they didn't have a master. They were just happened to be alive, and they, they didn't know what to do and where to get food. And so these were just nasty, mangy dogs, and they were scavenging for food all the time. Uh, and, and in fact, the, the book of Proverbs kind of... Uh, alludes to that in Proverbs 26, 11, uh, as the example of the fool returning to his folly. And at Proverbs 26, 11, the example is as a dog returns to its vomit, right? So a dog vomits and eventually might go back to it if it's hungry. And I'll tell you this without going too too much details, I've seen it taken a step worse than that by a dog as well. And so a dog does not mind scavenging for any kind of food. And so what the dog represents here is the man who continues in, as the pulpit commentary puts it, greedy participation of the wicked in open profanation. Now that is old school wordage for he openly continues in his sin. Okay, This is the guy who openly continues in the sin. He is the man that, when corrected, will defiantly let you know he's not going to stop. When he's corrected in his sin, he says, I'm not going to stop. In fact, I might ramp it up a little bit more because you have confronted me in this sin. It is my life. I will do as I please. And nothing anyone says to me will change that whatsoever. Jesus refers to this kind of person in Re Revelation chapter 22. And I want to see, show you the contrast here. Revelation 22, 14 and 15 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. So these are the saved, right? Uh, and then it says, Outside are the dogs. Outside are the dogs. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And so when we look at the dogs in this passage, I want you to think of the openly immoral. Kind of the, the, the brother uh, in, in, the, in the parable of, 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 of the brother that ran away. What is that? My mind just went blank. Prodigal son, thank you. <laughs> it was all on you, Scotty. I was looking at no one but you. But uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, it's the younger brother, okay? It's that guy who is, who is just blatantly sinful, okay? And then you have the pig. So you have the dog, and now you have the pig. Now we all know uh, that the pig for the Jew was an unclean animal, and most of the Jews followed this uh, portion of the Mosaic law and did not eat uh, any kind of pork. Uh, but the pig is also, in Scripture, a beast of indifference. 
In fact, in, in 2 Peter 2, uh, verse 22, and Peter is giving some examples of, of and, we'll, and we'll get to that passage here in a minute, but he says, a sow, and I didn't know this because I guess I'm not from the farm or whatever, but a sow is a pig. <laughs> in case you didn't know, in case you're on my level, a sow is a pig, all right? Uh, a sow is a pig. As you can tell, I'm not from the farm. So, anyways, uh, a sow that... Is, don't correct me later, okay? That's enough of that. Uh, but anyways, uh, a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. So being washed, here's the point, if we can get back to it. Uh, being washed makes no difference to the pig. To the pig. It is at home in its filth, all right? So, the, the, uh, I'm about to say another word that I'm not quite positive that I have it right, okay? Uh, but the, the pig represents, uh, and this is the pulpit commentary again, it says someone with sodish, is it sodish or sodish? Do you all know? Talking about kind of a drunken behavior. Ah, all right, all right, so we got a correction there, all right. So, uh, it's a sodish indifference of sinners to that which is most attractive. The sottish indifference to, of sinners to that which is most attractive. So is, it, it is that is when they are rebuked, they're not defiant, but they couldn't care less. All right, so you have your dog over here who is openly defiant. I'm going to sin, I'm going to rebel, I don't care. And then you have this other one. You have the pig, and he just doesn't care. He, in fact, when you rebuke him, he might say, you're right. You're right. But is it going to make any difference in his life? Not in the least bit. Is he going to make a scene? Probably not. He's probably not going to make a scene when you confront him, but his heart is far from repentance. He does not care about God's word, and he does not care about God's order. He is simply concerned about getting back to his sty and getting back to his slop. In other words, he, is getting, he wants to get what is most important to him, not most important to God. And so we have this overview uh, of, of who Jesus is talking about and two different kinds of rebels, the openly immoral, the dog, and the stubborn and unrepentant, which is the pig. So, what is Jesus commanding us not to give to these type of men? Uh, well, he says, do not, give them what, do not give the dog what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. Now, pearls here should be pretty obvious. Pearls is something of value. Right? Something of great value. Uh, the word sacred here, what is sacred, if you have different translations, it'll be translated holy. And the word holy means set apart. So at first glance, if you're reading that and you say, don't give them something that's sacred and don't give them something that is holy and set apart, at first glance, and as many commentators would tra- or would interpret this, and I, I disagree, but as many would, would interpret this, is that Jesus is referring to the gospel. That he's saying, if, a per, if, you, if you present the gospel to somebody and they say, I'm going to send all I want to send, or they say, that's a good message, but can completely disregard it and are completely unrepentant, enough is enough. Completely, you know, just, just don't worry about them. Don't, don't give them what is holy. Do not give them uh, that pearl. And many, like I said, have taken this approach, but I, I, I have a problem with this approach. I have a problem with this approach in general as we refer to Scripture as a whole. We don't have time to go uh, through all that, but I have another problem in context. In context, that's not where Jesus is going. That's not what Jesus is talking about. In context, Jesus is talking about judgment. Jesus is talking about dealing with 
each other and dealing with your brother in, in judgment. And when, when he sins against you, when he has that speck in his eye, how we help him take care of that speck. So it seems to me, if we think about it in that context, what is valuable and holy is, is uh, the attempt of the Christian to gently restore his brother back to the faith. It is what we talked about in the first five verses. This is, what is, this is what is valuable and this is what is holy, is when we gently try to restore our brother back to the faith. We help him overcome his sin. And, and I told you we would refer back to this passage in 2 Peter chapter 2. But this is, seems to be what Peter's talking about as well when he actually uses the example of dogs and pigs in the same passage. Or in, a, in, in one passage. In 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 20 through 22 he says, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. So the people, first off I want to clarify because this is, it can be a confusing passage as well. But the people in this passage are not Christians. Okay? The people that Peter is referring to in this passage are not Christians but they are within the church. They are within the body, they are within the fellowship, but they are not a part of the body of Christ. They are masquerading as Christians, and maybe they even believe it themselves. See, they've heard about Jesus, and they've understood what his gospel means, and they joined the church, and now they have fallen away. Peter refers to them as dogs and pigs. So these are those that claim to have received grace by Jesus Christ, but are falling away from the church. These are those whom brothers and sisters in Christ would try to restore. Okay? These are those who brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ would try to restore. But Peter says they're dogs and they're pigs. Be careful. Be careful. Alright? And, and so what Jesus, if we go back to Jesus, pearls and sacred things are the efforts to restore a presumed brother in the faith. But Jesus says if you're pursuing that brother and you're trying to restore them you're trying to help them out be careful watch out here is your warning because this is what they might do to you according to the passage they're either going to tramp if you do they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces here's the idea they will take the very help that is trying to be provided and then turn against the person who is trying to help them and this is the most painful type of treachery in the world it's, uh, it's when you consider the levels of dealing with people. You have your heavenly level, which is when someone does bad to you and you do good to them. And then you have your, your human level, uh, which is when someone does bad to you, you do bad to them. Someone does good to you, so that you do good to them. But then you have your hellish level. And that's when someone does good to you and then, or you do good to, you know what I'm trying to say, you do good to somebody and then they do bad to you, Right? And so what we have here, here is a picture of the hellish level. And let me give you an example of it. Uh, I know a man, and, and this, is a, this is a good example. This isn't some far-off exotic example. This is a local church example. I know a man who has been a Christian his entire life, uh, for the vast majority of his, his entire life. Uh, and he, he followed and he stayed in church, but, but he would tell you straight up, when he got to middle age, 
<coughs> excuse me, God really convicted him. He went to a, a men's retreat, and God really, really convicted him. He, he recognized that, that uh, he had for, forsaken his first love, as the book of Revelation uh, tells us. And so this man got on his knees that weekend that he was there, and he repented before the Lord. And since that time, he has been the picture of Jesus Christ. And this man is in love. He is passionate about Christ. He worships with zeal in a church that, that remains seating. He's the guy with his standing up with his hands raised. He loves and he leads his family and his wife uh, to the Lord, and he wants others to experience it also. And that's where the rub comes. That's where people have taken it the wrong way is that he, he is on fire for Jesus, and sorry for the cliche, but he is on fire for Jesus. But some people have seen that fire, and he is trying to pass that fire on, and people are not, some people are not responding well. One man in particular could not stand it. This man is a, was a faithful man to his church. This man, in fact, at one point was the chairman of the deacons. He went, and he went to the pastor, and he complained. And he said, I want, I want to let you know that this other guy, he's a, he is a hypocrite, and he is a liar. It is not who he is here when he's gone. This is, this is just a false, this is, this is all an act. He's a phony. And so he turned against the one who was trying, mainly, because I know the story, mainly to invite him to the same conference that he went to where God revolutionized his life. And so this guy turned against him, and he he went to the pastor, and he said, go confront him. Go confront him, and and I'll go with you, and we will go and confront him about his hypocrisy. And if you don't, I'm going to leave the church. Put his foot down. Very glad to report he left the church. (laughs) The pastor would have absolutely no part of it, and rightfully so. And here's what Jesus says. Do not give to such as these what is sacred and what is valuable. Do not continue to seek to restore them. Now herein lies the problem. We won't know if someone's like that until we first try to seek to restore them. We won't find out what their true character is until we first try and seek uh, to restore them. But at that point, after we have sought to restore somebody, then at that point, if they still are unrepentant and if they still are openly sinful, uh, Jesus says, stop. Don't worry about it. Just stop. Now again, this draws a problem in my own heart. This, this is a struggle for me. Why would Jesus say something like that? Why would Jesus say, stop trying to restore this brother? It sounds very, very un-Jesus-like, again, uh, to me. But, but if you look at the broader context of Scripture, Jesus is cutting to the chase here what he explains in more detail in Matthew chapter 18. And then what Paul applies in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So I encourage you, turn with me now to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we have it on the screen uh, if you don't want to turn there. Matthew 18, and we're going to start in verse 15. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, I had, I had uh, Greg put up verse 18 too, but that was a mistake. It's just 15 through 17 here. So here's, here's what's going on. Jesus tells us to try to be reconciled, to restore our brother. And he gives a specific detailed plan for doing that. If you have a problem, go man to man. All right, go woman to woman, whatever it is. Go and, and confront this issue face to face in order to restore your brother. If that doesn't work, bring a group. All right, go as a group and you go and you tackle this issue as a group. If that doesn't work, bring it before the church. And if the brother still doesn't repent, treat him like a lost person. It says, treat him like a pagan, treat him like a tax collector. Here's the idea treat him like a lost person, remove him from the church. And treat him like a lost person. Now the question then becomes, well, what good is that? (laughs) If you're kicking somebody out of the church, aren't you removing them from the presence of the gospel? Aren't you removing them from the love and the, the grace and the forgiveness and all that kind of stuff that's within the church and the brotherly love and all that kind of stuff? Aren't you doing all of that? What good is it to treat this person like he is lost? Paul applies it. Move over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul applies Jesus' method here. Let's read uh, verses 9 through 13. It says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler, which with such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Paul says don't even associate with them. Paul says just kind of kick them out. Don't even associate with them at all. If if you can recognize that this person is a dog or a pig, according to what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, if this person is just hard-headed and unrepentant or just blatantly immoral, just don't don't even associate with them. Expel the immoral brother. But again, what good is it? Why? What's the value in expelling the immoral brother? We go up a couple verses to verses 4 and 5. It says, when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan. What that means? Kick him out of the church. Hand this man over to Satan so that, sin- so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Do you hear what's happening here? Do you hear what's happening here? Paul is saying, when we kick this person out of the church, we are giving them a chance at salvation. We have to treat them like they're lost because they're lost. And then we give them a chance of salvation. And when I was doing youth ministry, I had to remove a girl from our our services and from participating. She was a distraction constantly. She was a problem. She was a bad influence. She had... uh, uh, she, she just couldn't, she didn't care. She was, she was a dog and a pig. And I hate to say that, you know, about a, a girl, but, but she was openly immoral. She did not care. And, and she had no desire to repent whatsoever. I and mean, she, she, we, we talked to her 
over and over and over again. We disregarded God's Word. We gave her 7 times 70 rule. I mean, we, we were absolutely pouring out to her, trying to give her an opportunity to get things right. But finally, we came to the point and we said, you can't come back. That enough is enough, and you cannot come back. And you'll never guess what happened. She began to act right. <laughs> she began to act good. She wanted to be a part. Now, I'll say this. To be fair, it didn't last because it wasn't real. It ne- and, and it never will last when it's not real. But the point is, expelling the immoral brother may be the only thing that leads him back to Christ. It may be the only thing that leads him back to Christ. And so what we have here tonight in Jesus' teaching in, in, in uh, Matthew 7, 6 is a picture of church discipline. And church discipline, when we just say it out loud and when we just kind of throw it out there, it seems awful harsh, doesn't it? It seems awful difficult and awful mean. Uh, and, 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 we, and we started tonight saying that it's, it's actually a picture of grace, but then the person who's being disciplined has a really hard time seeing that, right? They, they, don't, they don't quite understand that, that this, this looks more like a removal of grace. This looks more like a removal of forgiveness. And in fact, if they are, if they are biblically sound, they might say something to the effect of, but what did Jesus tell Peter to forgive him seven times? No, seven times, 70 times. So what are you going to do about that? But ultimately, church discipline is the most gracious thing we can do for the dog and for the pig. It is the most gracious thing that we can do for the steadfastly unrepentant and the blatantly immoral. And it may very well be that the Holy Spirit uses us to bring, uh, or rather, excuse me, that through church discipline, the Holy Spirit will convict and bring salvation to this person's soul. See, see, again, and I just want to clarify this, because I think church discipline such a out of the ballpark topic. I mean, back at the turn of the of the twentieth century, on an average, every every year, two percent of the church was removed based on church discipline. But that that is way gone by the wayside. That is so far out of practice. But what I want you to see uh, tonight is that when we do not practice church discipline, not only do we cause strife within the church, but we also cause that person to not receive the gospel. We, We show them that it's okay to live this kind of life among these brothers and sisters. And Paul says, don't even associate with them. It's a picture of grace. It's absolutely a picture of grace. I was reading about a missionary back in the 1960s who went to New Guinea. And this missionary uh, went to a tribe called the uh, Sawi. That's what I'm going to go with anyways. (laughs) Anyways, he went to this tribe called the Sawi. And this was a a difficult, difficult people. They were a headhunting people and they were a cannibalistic people. And they would kill their they would kill their enemies, and then they would uh, they would use their skulls as pillows, just to give you an idea of how defiled and immoral this people group was. And and so this this missionary goes, and he's really like, how do I even? Where do I start? Right? And so he says, you know, I'll, I'll just start reading them the gospel. Okay, And so he, he pulls out the book of Matthew, and he begins to read through the book of Matthew to this people group. 
And as he got to the story of Judas betraying Jesus, the people started to cheer. Yeah! And he realized at that point that what was valued in this community was treachery. What was valued was people who would lie, people who would cheat, people who would go behind your back and stab you in the back. This was their way of achieving power and becoming great. So again, he got to a place where he said, I don't even know where to start with these people. I don't know what to do. But one day, he happened to be around for a ceremony that they had. And in this ceremony, both of the tribes from New Guinea uh, came together. And right there in the middle, the chief of one of the tribes came and he brought his son. And he got down on one knee and he offered his son to the other tribe. The other tri- the other, or, or the man, the missionary, asked, you know, and he was like, what's going on here? What, what's happening? And he said, this is the ceremony of the peace child. What happens is the only way that peace can come between two feuding tribes is if the chief of one of the tribes gives up his son. And so what we have right here for us is a peace child. God gave us a peace child when he gave his one and only son to break up hostility between he and this world. And I want to let you know that same son wants to break up hostility in his church. He wants to break up hostility in his church. When all else is at war, Christ still brings peace. So how do we honor the peace child? How do we honor Jesus Christ when it comes to this sort of person? When it comes to this person who is within the church, who is blatantly unrepentant, who is continuing in moral filth? First off, we handle it biblically. We see what the Bible says about it. We handle it biblically. And then we handle it Christocentrically. What I mean by that is Christ is the focus. We, ought, we handle it with the gospel at our core. What I mean is we, we handle it with the idea that we want to lead a brother to repentance. That's the idea. And if, if that means that we have to do something that is very countercultural, then we do something that is very countercultural. If that means that we need to do something that is going to be awkward and hurtful, then we do something that is awkward and hurtful. And the reason we do it is not because we want to show power, then we're in sin. And we, the reason we do it is not because we have a grudge we want to we we bear or or an axe we need to grind or anything like that. If we do it that way, then we are in sin. But we do it because we want this brother to know Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. Jesus gave us this life to go and make sure other people know about Jesus Christ. We treat a brother who lives like that like he is a sinner, like he is lost. In order that we, he, may know Jesus Christ. So what we see is that church discipline is filled with grace. Church discipline is filled with grace. I don't really know how to do a uh, <laughs> an altar call after a service like that. <laughs> That's kind of kind of different. But I will say this: uh, that that one thing that I, that maybe we struggle with, or one thing that maybe is is difficult for us is loving all of our brothers. Loving and, and burying the hatchet. Uh, and, and another thing that is difficult for us is confronting. 
It's, it's difficult. There's absolutely no doubt about that, that it is a difficult thing. But if, what if we, as a church, supported each other and said, let's recognize an issue. And if there's an issue, let's tackle that issue and support the ones who need to go forward in tackling that issue in a biblical, Christocentric way. And we go forward. And so what my, I guess, call this evening would be is a call of support to say, yes, I want what's best for our church because I want what Jesus Christ wants. And so I am committing to say whatever Christ, if, if we can see that there is truth and that, that this is not what Christ wants, that I will follow through to make sure that we get what Christ is leading us to do. And I will put away anything in my own life. I will repent. I won't be that guy or that girl who holds on to my thing, my way, my sty, and, and, and being unrepentant. Or I won't live that continual, blatantly sinful life. I will turn from that, and we will go forward as a church. So, if that's a call, that's the call. <laughs> and, and so, I just want you to pray. And in your own heart, if you would commit to that. If you would commit to that, if you want to stand up and make it a sign that, that you're telling us, I will commit to that, that's fine too. However you want to do it at this time. But, but, but let's, let's take this time uh, to respond, okay? Lord, we love you. And again, this is a difficult thing. But God, help us just to keep on filtering in our mind, keep on rehashing in our head that we indeed are doing this out of grace. And so God, we pray by your grace we would not be tainted. We would not be in any way jaded. And let our emotions rule what our decisions need to be. But rather, God, we would be committed. And we would be faithful. We'd be committed to you. We'd be committed to your son. And we would be faithful to your word. God, we would go forward. We would do what is necessary for the benefit of this church. Lord, I pray that you would reveal the hidden things, that you would open our eyes to the issues that need to be addressed. And Father, that we, in boldness but in gentleness, in love but in discipline, go forward seeking to restore, but willing to remove. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray.